Folks, you know you're in for a treat when you hear that because it means it's time for another episode of the Rec Poker Podcast. I'm your host, Jim Reed, Bluffsterini in the home game. I'd like to thank our wonderful sponsors, Website Amp and Running Aces Hotel Racetrack and Casino. Um, Here on the forums episode of the podcast every week, we take a post from the Rec Poker forums and we talk about it here with the panel. If you want to find out more about the panel, you can go to rec.poker slash crew and learn all about the wrecking crew and the crazy people that are on it. Uh, but don't take my word for it. Uh, you can hear from them right now. Crew, why don't you spread the word? Uh, well, I'm Chris Jones. You can find me 5B5 on Twitter and 5 by 5 pretty much everywhere else, including Poker Stars. And I'm John Somsky, and you, I am Poker Geek MN everywhere. I'm Ron Blockton, and I'm Rabman50 everywhere. I'm Taylor Moss. Uh, I'm the uh, Poker Stars home game. I'm Gopherboy TJM, and you can find me on Twitter at, at Taylor underscore Moss. Speaking of the home game, it's a little after 9 p.m. Eastern when we're recording this, which means that most of us are playing, battling it out, trying to steal each other's chips, just like we do every week. And like I say, another thing we do every week is we take a post from the Rec Poker forums and talk about it here on the air. So this week, we are taking a post by the one and only 5 by 5 himself, Chris Jones, who takes a hand from the Poker Masters. Uh, so, Chris, why don't you walk us through what made this hand interesting to you? Well, it's it's an entirely a preflop spot, and uh, I just wanted to, I, you know, I it, it seemed to me like a big mistake, but I after thinking about it, and I wanted to talk to some people and just see what other people thought about it, um, and and talk about how we apply to it. Does this apply to a recreational player's sort of game? So here here's here's the setup. Uh, it's the Poker Masters. Uh, we're down to five players. It's a $25,000 buy-in. Um, first place is $342,000. That'd be nice. Uh, and fifth place is 76000 You know, sort of tears in between there. Um, we have uh, five players at the table. The hijack has 30 big blinds. It's Daniel Negreanu. The cutoff has 40 big blinds. It's Aliam Zervich. Uh, both of those players fold. Uh, we get to the button, who is the chip leader and has uh, 80 big blinds, Makita Bajakowski, and he min opens. Um, and then we get to our second uh, stack, chip, uh, second chip stack at 60 big blinds, uh, which is Seth Davies. And before I tell you what he does, behind him is Jason Kuhn, who only has five big blinds left. So he's got five big blinds in the big blind. We're in the small blind. The chip leader has uh, opened, and Seth Davies jams for 60 big blinds, and he holds ace of spades, queen of spades. And um, I I want to talk about this. <laughs> so, Chris, this is a spot where the small blind player has 60 big blinds. They're the number two stack at the table, and the person that they're shoving into is the only player that has them covered. So this is a spot, you know, we love talking about kind of like general rules here at Rec Poker. You know, we talk about like the ICM disaster, where if you're in this spot, the one thing you don't want to do is get involved in the other big stack when there's a when there's a small uh, stack that could bust at any time. And so 
I know you had a, a, a good discussion about this on Discord as well, but what I agree, this feels like one of those non-typical situations. What, what do people think it is about this that, that makes it interesting like that? Well, I can kind of summarize. I mean, I think the conversation on Discord, I can kind of summarize where that went. Um, there was there was really, um, you know, there some people who thought, you know, like, and that that this was a a, a solid play. Like, what else are you going to do with Ace of Spades, Queen of Spades? Um, you're in this sort of like really difficult situation where you take the ability for your opponent to four bet you with impunity away you're um you're sort of you're basically you know you're getting this sort of the, the value out of the hand that you have it's a hand that's doesn't play that well out of position to just call with it doesn't play that well to just uh i mean folding feels really too nitty um and so there's the case there that the, the jam makes sense and then the other camp of the conversation was like yeah but this is just i mean if the calling range of the button is going to dominate us so much and we put we we sort of funnel them into playing perfectly and the times it's not going to happen that often you know we're going to get folds a ton but the times when we get called it's just a disaster with that five big blind stack next to us um now these are better players than me and they're better players than you know Sorry to everyone, but probably everyone here. Um, but what what do you, what do you all think? I mean, what what and what can we learn from this when we're playing at sort of our stake level rather than at the twenty five k stake level? Well, one of the things I think about right away is if I'm that big stack, I'm on the button and it folds to me. I'm going to be really wide with my raising range. Because that's as a big stack, you can really take advantage of that at the table, picking up the blinds, incrementally increasing your stack, and everybody else is going to be afraid to do anything because, like you say, Jason Kuhn's sitting there with five big blinds. Everybody's waiting for him to go out, and they all get a pay jump, right? And this is significant money we're talking, even for them. So I, you know, I think that that the opener is so wide, his range is so big that this is definitely something that you could think to do. Now, could I think to do that? Not so much <laughs> because I think at the level that we play, I don't know that, that um, they're necessarily going to be thinking the same way and they may be opening a much tighter then um, I think what's his name, Makita's or something like that. Yeah, Makita. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, it's interesting too because like the type of opponents that that we might face uh, aren't likely to take a f really light in this kind of big money situation. As even with the chip lead, aren't likely to take a really light four bet situation here. Like if 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 we were to three bet to a normal size or, you know, a little bit of a healthy chunky size with our ACE queen and the small blind, you know, it's going to take, I don't know that there are a lot of players that are going to like four bet jam on us with like 10, eight of hearts. Right. But I, maybe at this level, I, I don't know. I don't know. We might, we might find ourselves in that kind of situation too. Sometimes. So it, it, to me, this play just looks weird. 
So the first thing I want to do when it's a weird play is just take a step back and say, okay, what are the good things that come out of making this play? Um, obviously you're, if you get called, you are going to be able to see all five cards, which is a good thing with ace queen suited. Um, the other good thing is it was just a min raise from the opener. So clearly they don't, that's implying that they don't want to get into a big stack. We have the ICM pressure. So it's, um, a hard thing there, although you're not putting, you're not going to, shove that person out and they'll still probably be able to outlast that five big blind stack, even if they call you and lose. So, but you aren't, aren't going to be able to be manipulated at all. They aren't going to raise you light. You're going to get to see the cards and it'll, it'll just play out on the negative side. I can't imagine ever getting a call here when you're not beat. So, so that, that's where I struggle. But it, you know, if you put a, uh, what would a reasonable size raise there, maybe be to 10 big blinds. Now you're putting 10 of your 60 big blinds in. Um, then they could come back and raise that to 30. And now that puts a lot of pressure on you. And, you probably don't really want to see a flop or anything. So I don't know. That's just the, the way my brain works is I just kind of go back and try to figure it all out from the beginning. And in my mind, I have a really hard time justifying this as a good play. That's not saying it's not. It's just saying with the way I think about the game, it's it's going to work almost all the time, but it's going to be a tragedy when it doesn't. Mm. Yeah, and I also uh, sorry. Yeah, Taylor, go ahead. Oh, I was I was just going to go in kind of on the other side of it and just kind of be like, well, like, what else do we do then? Because uh, the way I like think about this and just like envision it playing out is like, unless we three bet big the button is inclined to either four bet or call. Like even if they have some of those marginal holdings, them just calling there is really advantageous. They're going to get to play in position. They're going to get to see how the flop comes out texture wise. Your three betting range there should already be incredibly tight. And now he gets to play against that like tight three betting range that you have. So you're kind of hamstringing yourself uh, in that spot. If you three bet, smaller you so you almost have to pick a really big size and then like you're saying like what what big size do you pick um because i i personally like i think about this spot i'm just like i don't want to ever play out of position i don't want to be playing against the big stack and then it kind of comes down to at least for me like well what other options are there like obviously we can fold uh, you know, fold and just pretend you never had the hand, wait for the other person to bust and then play forehanded from there on out. But ace queen's a really good hand. So do we call? Well, calling can be good from the perspective of that big or that small stack is in the big blind. And now we're taking two shots at trying to get them knocked out. We have our ace queen and then the button's super wide uh, other range. 
but the button's going to be aggressive versus us. The button's not going to take it easy on us and like try and bust someone out, at least at this high level. So to me, calling seems pretty ugly. And then I was just talking about the three betting and anything small seems terrible. So you have to go big and then it's like, how big? Well, if you put in 10, 12, whatever it may be, how committed are you to the hand at that point? Uh, so it like, it essentially, in, in my opinion, it's a spot where all the options suck. They really do. And jamming may be the option that sucks the least because of like the things that you're talking about. Like, okay, well, maybe you get uh, stuck in a situation where they've got aces or ace king or something like that. But isn't it also a pretty inopportune time if they have ace jack and then the flop comes with ace jack something else or any other sorts of situation where you could just kind of not realize that you're behind but stuck in a spot where you're just going to get owned by your opponent and i know there's a bunch of other potential ways that it could play out but you know pick your poison in that type of spot so in my opinion it's a spot that you're just dealt and it's an absolutely atrocious position to be in and i think just jamming sucks the least so if we were to run that out and do an uh, equity calculation Fox style, you know, figure out how much time you win, how much time you lose, blah, 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 all that type of stuff. Do you think it is a positive equity play jamming? Because like, I think we all agree almost all the time you're going to get a fold. Um, it's just going to be those very rare occasions when you are crippled that you don't. No, that that's a totally fair question because you're you're taking two absolute extremes, right? You're saying like, hey, buttons opening super wide. Say they're opening eighty percent. I don't know if that's enough, not enough, whatever it is. But then we're saying like, hey, they're probably going to call super tight too. So maybe they only call top five percent of hands. Well, seventy five of that you're going to win with just a jam. Five you're going to run that equity against. I don't know if the math works out there for sixty big blinds. Um, but yeah, maybe, maybe they're doing different types of calculations too. Maybe they think you're, they're calling a little bit wider than top 5% or something like that. Yeah. I mean, it could end up being that it is positive because they will call so tight and raise so wide, but you're just not, I mean, what are there? Five big blinds in the pot. So you're, Mm -hmm. you're putting, 60 big blinds at risk for those five, which is fine if you win often enough, right? That mathematically, you can say that's a, a good thing to do. I just don't have a feel for it, and I'd have to actually do some math. And there'd be a lot of conjecture and what's the calling range, what's the betting range, how wide is the opening, all of that type of stuff. But you could come up with estimates for that. And I don't think uh, Taylor's example of six or 80% of opening. It's in the ballpark somewhere, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah, I agree. I agree number. with that for sure. Like, I think, yeah, that, that button with that stack in this situation has to be opening Should a be ton. Close to 100, right? right? Given, in, given another just, consideration, another dynamic that we talked about just a little while ago. Um, Makita has no incentive to have Kuhn out because with Kuhn in, he can take advantage of those middle stacks. So he may be calling even tighter, that jam even tighter than what the charts say. 
just for that one reason there, because it's only cost them so far two big blinds. Big deal. To be done with it, we can go on to the next hand. I don't have to get involved with my marginal pocket tens or pocket jacks or whatever it might be. He might his calling range might be really, really aces, kings, and ace king. That could be the only calling range he has. And if that's the case, he's only calling, you know, what, one, two percent of the time that you're gonna do this. So um just another dynamic that yeah, you know, he yeah. wouldn't want necessarily want Coon out. Yeah, that's a great point. Let's hear if uh, let's hear from our friend Jonathan Little see if he, he has any insight. He's more of an ace king uh, hint giver, but you never know. Let's see what he has to say this time. Have you ever wondered whether you should call a preflop raise or three bet instead? Yes. What do you do when you have a flush draw? Do you raise it or do you just call? What do you do with ace king when you miss the flop? Or ace queen suited? Are you tired of guessing about what the right play is with your particular hand? Well, my name is Jonathan Little, and I am a two-time World Poker Tour champion and creator of PokerCoaching.com, where we offer over a thousand interactive hand quizzes where you play a hand and then get real-time feedback from our world-class pros. Don't guess and don't stress. Just register for your free account at PokerCoaching.com slash RecPoker right now. Head on over there, PokerCoaching.com slash RecPoker and take advantage of Jonathan Little's 100% money-back guarantee. Tell him Jim sent you. So... Uh, yeah, when I first saw this post, I just immediately thought that what I'd want to do is make that sort of chunky three bet and basically be exploited by however they chose to proceed at that point. Um, because I felt like that is the route where if I, I sort of like, if I'm wrong, I've lost the least as it were, uh, but I even did consider calling and just letting the big blinds action because the big if, if we call here the big blind can actually reopen the uh betting which then gives the button a chance to reopen the betting um well actually no actually yeah anyway uh that would give us interesting that would give us an interesting spot coming around but that it, philosophically the points are very different because in one case you're really exercising your fold equity and the icm pressure and in the other one you're really trying to just kind of see if this is a good flop for you or not. And I'm not sure. I mean, there's pros and cons to each of those, but it, it, come, it has a lot to do with what level are your opponents on and what what is your goal for the hand? Can I ask, uh, This here's another question that I, that I often struggle with, and I, I love some conversations. So um, let's say we're Jason Kuhn here. And Big what, is our, what is our calling range when this happens? Pieces. Is that it? I think so. I mean, I was thinking because like when we see these two stacks go to battle, I mean, I, it's like, and we've got five big blinds. We're not really hoping to win this tournament. We're just hoping, I mean, if we can ladder up, that is a, and win $30,000, that is a yeah. huge victory. Um, And I'm, I, you know, sometimes you're in these spots where, you know, like, so are you folding kings here? Uh, you know, I think I might call kings too, but maybe just aces and kings. The thing I can, I think about here is, so <clears throat> it's a good opportunity to get extra money in the pot when you're short stacked. So from that perspective, you know, if the other two are going at it and he has a decent hand, you know, even something like seven, eight suited. Um, 
going three ways, that's not a bad thing to do. However, because of the ICM, if you if there's a chance at all that you think they might be called by the big blind, being able to level up when you're on five big blinds is like a dream. If all you have to do is just fold. But I assume that Kuhn had six big blinds to begin the game or begin the hand. And yeah, one he, of those... did. he had six to start. He had five behind. Okay. Yeah, so you're probably right. It probably does make sense to play for Kuhn to play really tight there. Mm-hmm. So what, any other, any other thoughts on this folks? Well, Is there, cause, cause I think that Taylor made a great point that they all the options have a lot of pros and cons here. So you're kind of deciding what's, what are the trade-offs that you most want to take? Sorry, Rob, what's up? Yeah, they all, all the, like he said, all the options really kind of suck, but <laughs> I think, I think he chose the best one. Um, just because of how wide the the range is, and talking about Kuhn, um, earlier in the tournament before ICM consideration, that would be a place where you would be opening, you would be jamming pretty wide, um, because there's some dead money in there. If one of the two fold, and even if they both call, there's still some some more money in there than you would if you went heads up against somebody else. But because of the ICM considerations, I think what John said is very apropos that, you know, he could he could actually ladder up by not doing anything mm. um, if Makita ends up winning the hand. So, yeah, in that case, because of the ICM considerations, Jason Kuhn should just fold there. Mm-hmm. But I think what's what's really cool about this whole situation is most of us and most of the people in the chat in Discord would never have considered pushing all in in that spot because of the ICM considerations. And when you get right down to the bottom of the, of the decision tree and start looking at it, it really is the best decision. It's the best move that he could make at that time. And it's something that probably most of us would never hmm. consider. And that's, what's really cool about that hand. So I want to know then everybody, what is the worst hand that you're going to choose to do that this with. So let's just assume that we've bought into the theory. We think it's a, it's a good spot because the opening range is so wide. We're going to get a lot of folds. Um, it feels like what we're really trying to do is bluff essentially. Like, like we're, we're really, we want to have good equity when we're called, but really what we're doing is we're hoping for folds. So what are some other hands that we might get? What is it about? Is, is ace queen suited uniquely suited for this? Is it actually a value shove? What other hands might we consider in this range? Are we doing this with aces? That's it. That, yeah. I wanted to ask not just what's the bottom hand, but what's the top. I mean, what do we do with aces here right. as Seth Davies? Because I think that against this type of opponent to especially if if we're playing aces differently, I think we've got maybe some problems. But <laughs> yeah, what do people? Well, first, I personally would be playing aces, kings, queens. Um, based on where we're at here with this hand, ace queen suited was the hand that he chose. I think any aces, kings, ace king, and ace queen suited are probably. I I, I can't go to ace jack with this, right? I might be able to go to Queens, right? But Ace Jack is just not is is too low on the on the on the totem pole. 
So I think I think it's really tight up in that upper range, but I think you do it with the aces and the kings also. Maybe so you're not as as afraid of getting called, right? <laughs> what do you do with with hands like ace jack, ace ten, pocket tens? Are those calls then? Are those the raises? Oh, you don't fold them. Five handed against a button razor, you cannot fold tens. I, I mean, I I I am being somewhat serious here no, that I, don't, right. I don't you're think right. that so but they you, you aren't going to shove it either no so then does that become a call and why if you can handle calling out of position in this hand with tens why can't you do that with ace queen because of the tight calling range that makita would have and we have a blocker with ace queen right so he's he's less likely to have those hands that can call us our 60 big blind shove than if we have pocket tens or jacks. Okay. So but then you could do it with ace jack. You could do it with yeah. ace five suited as well and then call with some <laughs> right. right. Well, like, I mean that's why I, I think well and I'm not going to claim to really understand <laughs> at poker at this <laughs> level. Right. But to really understand it, it seems like you'd need to do a little bit of range analysis because um, ace queen suited is one of the hands that is probably the best to do this with in that you're not probably not going to get a lot of money with you ahead. If a, mo- a lot of money goes into the pot, um, you ha- do have great blockers here. It's way too strong of a hand to consider folding, calling. It puts you into a really precarious position, out of position. Um, so all of that makes a lot of sense. And you don't want to have to be forced to fold it if they come over the top of you. Whereas a hand like tens, if they come over the top, you know, then you can you can decide it's not as much of a tragedy to lose that but in order to have a balanced system you can't be just push fold here i think that is just not optimal play so i think there's a lot of calls you're gonna have a lot of hands that you can call two big blinds oh yeah yeah and and maybe that's what you do maybe that's how the balance is happening Mm -hmm. yeah i think the thing that works well with a hand like tens nines eights or something like that is just like it's playability post-flop. Like if a 10 pops off when you've got pocket 10s, you feel good. If it doesn't, <laughs> you're all right to throw it away. But like when, if you play ace 10, ace jack, now an ace pops off, well, what do you do now? Are you willing to get in half your stack, three-fourths of your stack, a lot of your stack, trying to catch uh, this guy who you think might be just trying to bully you? It's not comfortable. It's a lot more comfortable to do with a set. Um, but um, that being said, I don't know how I play some of these middling hands in this spot. I don't know how I play aces in this spot. Uh, but I think a lot of it depends on your opponent. And in this spot where we can identify our opponent as someone who is good with ICM and you know makes smart plays, it makes it really, really tough for figuring out what are we going to do out of position as a shorter stack than them. So last question. Um, what do we, do we have a not all in three bet sizing here and what sizing would that be 
and what kind of hands would be in that range? Or do we just call a lot here? And uh, feels to me like we would have some kind of three bet folding range though, or a three bet continuing range that was not just the nuts. Just for the same reason we talked about this guy's opening range is so wide. He's, he's going to have an open fold range. So it feels like we're giving up a spot by not having a three bet fold range. But we're, we're also trying to be like really concerned about being balanced and unexploitable in a spot in ICM where we're really concerned about being exploited and all those other types of things. So mm-hmm. I don't know if we necessarily need to be super balanced in this exact spot, but um, yeah, I, I'm guessing we're just not completely balanced here with whatever action it is that we're picking. Yep, that's a good point. I think uh, Taylor said the magic word is playability. So you're going to look for hands that have some playability. You can do a, you know, five and a half. Well, actually, you're in a small blind, so you want to do seven or eight um, big blind three bet with some hands that have playability, some suited um, broadways, some um, middling pairs. Hands that you can, if you don't hit the flop, you can get rid of if you get if you face a lot of pressure. But they have a lot of playability if they do connect with the flop so i think that's kind of what we've been talking about in uh modern poker theory right now is the types of hands that you want to get involved with that you're not afraid if they call so you know you can three bet with those hands if they fold great if they don't you still have playability mm-hmm. nice well, any other uh final thoughts great great hand chris the only thing I'd add is it's not like just pure playability, but it's almost like the, the hands that are going to have like nut advantage that can flop sets, mm-hmm. nut flushes, really strong straights, that type of thing. Cause you know, some hands are really playable, uh, but you also don't want to get involved when you've got bottom two pair. If you play six, seven suited and it, you get a six and a seven, but there's a lot of other stuff out there like that you don't want, you do not want to play that hand in that spot. So it, it's all about kind of like nut advantage. Yeah, that's why you want the, the suited broadways. You're not going to be playing the small suited connectors. You might mm-hmm. be playing some medium pairs for set value. Um, yeah. And then the top, the big suited uh, or the big suited broadways. Yeah, that's uh, another spot where having that seven or eight high flush isn't always a, uh, you know, when the stacks are deep enough or when the decisions are expensive enough, that's not necessarily the power hand that you, that you think it is. All right, great stuff, everybody. Well, uh, uh, without any further ado, then, I'd like to thank the Running Aces Hotel Racetrack and Casino and website AMP, Taylor, Chris, Rob, and John, my buddy Stewie in the chat, and uh, see everybody else next week. Bye-bye.